Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Real Gentleman of Queens. Julian Villard here. I'm coming at you without my co-host this time, Mr. Biscocholate, a.k.a. Bisky, a.k.a. Brian Coyazo, a.k.a. whatever the guy calls himself. It varies from day to day. He is upstate with his family at the moment, so I thought I'd get a little solo time with you here. Um, we have an incredible episode for you. Uh, it's a conversation with the legend, the god, as Brian would say, Josh Gondelman. Uh, you may know Josh from his incredible Twitter presence. You may also know him from his new podcast, Make My Day, or his book called Nice Try, or the fact that he's a writer on the Jesus and Marrow show on Showtime, or that he was a writer on John Oliver. I mean, his credits are ridiculous. They just keep going. He's one of the great comedic minds that I know, and we had him on the show to talk about 90s East Coast rap. Uh, this is something that I grew up with, being a child of New York City and in high school in the 90s, but I know very, very little about, so I was a little out of my depth here yet again on this episode, but seriously, between Josh's incredible knowledge and, of course, the legend, Brian Coyazo's extensive hip-hop knowledge, he actually brags that he didn't do any research for this episode. There's so much incredible facts and information in this thing, you're gonna, it, you're, it's going to blow your mind open. So, uh, Sit tight. Uh, a couple of notes. There is a accompanying playlist, as always, on Spotify. It's called RGOQ EP6 colon 90s East Coast Rap, and it's linked in the commentary on Apple Podcasts. I don't think the link comes through on Spotify. And if you have a minute, please review us on your app. Let people know that you like the show. We could use it. And uh, this show will be live streamed on Facebook on Wednesday night a.k.a. tonight, if you, you're getting this now. It's going to be live-streamed on my Facebook channel and on Beesky's Facebook channel. You can go to facebook.com slash Julian Villard or facebook.com slash Beesky. All right, I think I got through it all. So without further ado, I present to you our conversation with Josh Gondelman on 90s East Coast Rap. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Real Gentleman of Queens. I am your host, Julian Villar. I am your co-host, B. Ski Goyaso, coming to you live from the nursery. That's right. Uh, broadcasting from Queens across the Kosciuszko Bridge, or the Newtown Creek, all the way to a deep cobble hill, where we have our guest uh, today, uh, very excited for this one. Um, our first non-musician guest, but uh, pr pr our, our, our first ever guest who actually has a book, who wrote a book. Uh, please, ladies and gentlemen, uh, listeners, uh, put your hands together for uh, the one, the only writer on uh, the Jesus and Mara show and formerly on uh, the John Oliver, last week with John Oliver. I don't know. And then he also has his book, Nice Try. Hey, the one, there the it only. Is. There it is. There it is. I got it. Uh, the one, the only incredible stand-up comedian and uh, member of a fantasy basketball league that I am in, Mr. Josh Gondelman. Hey, Josh, how you doing? Hey, I'm, I'm doing okay, thanks. How are you? So nice to be here. I know. Uh, we're, uh, in my home. we're getting, yeah, exactly, right? Virtually. We're getting our, uh, we're still getting our act together with this podcast, but we're so psyched to have you. Um, I love it. I'm very excited. I'm, as you so said, we, I, I like that you said the first guest with a book. And it's like, oh no, like the first first person here to own a book. <laughs> first person. That's, that's also true. 
<laughs> there are there are definitely no Brian owns no books. I, I ain't one for all that guy. book learning. Um, you don't need it. So we brought you on to discuss uh, the genre of '90s East Coast rap, um, of which you uh, you possess some knowledge, or at least, and explain to us sort of your uh, w- why that specific genre would pertain to you, or what do you what what, what is your connection to it. I'm an enthusiast. I'm not an expert, but it's definitely, I'm a big rap music fan. And I think it is 90s East Coast rap is like as close. The The other thing that I was, the other genre that I was thinking about suggesting was bands that sound like Bruce Springsteen, but aren't Bruce Springsteen. Ooh. And that just felt like slightly too micro-targeted. Oh, no, and I, I love just, that. Okay. I was just going to talk about the hold steady too much. It's just like a real. Well, we're going to have, um, we're going to have Chris Calagaro on in a, oh, in a great. little while. And he's going to do a whole podcast just about Jersey music. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but be... so I bet he would get into a bunch of the bands, right? Like, right. Um, um, shoot, what's the name of that band? I, I Brian Fallon, his, his group. Um, the 59th sound is the album. I'm like totally spacing on it. But anyway, like, Sons oh, of S- um, Gaslight Anthem, Gaslight Anthem, yep. Sons of Springsteen is like a genre I like very much. That's, um, I love, that's great. I'm, I'm almost, but I'm so psyched we're doing it. And also I forgot. And why, one of the reasons why I sort of prompted you for this, or I, yes. I, I thought this would be the good way to go is that on your podcast, make my day, you had your bosses on, yes. uh, Jesus and Mero and, I was blown. You had them basically create their own fantasy '90s rap album, and it was inc- not only was I amazed by them because they're ridiculous and they're amazing, so and, funny, and they're they're definitely an influence on us and what we're trying to do. But mm-hmm. also, you 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 were right with them with all oh, the references, which I thought yeah. was mind blowing. Where I mean. It is it is like a, a genre that I steeped myself in as a teen. So I like kind of came to it late and backfilled a little bit. So there's like. Excuse me, like starting in the late 90s, I guess I was pretty contemporary. Like I remember, you know, middle school dances, you would hear like hypnotize that that's my age. So like when I was 13, that was like when Biggie had just, had just passed, had been murdered and and was but that second album, the double album Life After Death was like huge that had huge singles mo money mo problems the videos were great and then come that's also kind of when i got mtv so i was seeing a lot of um videos that were you know there was like kind of more genre mashing on mtv in terms of like mixing up genres within one show than there was on a lot of radios radio until um rap music became huge pop crossover right so like when i was when i was real young when i was in elementary school you would hear on the the pop stations you'd hear maybe like in in 94 or 95 you'd hear like gangsta's paradise and that's it that was like the one song that crossed over like one ll cool j song right uh and then as i was getting a little older and and kind of getting to buy music for myself and and choose my own taste i kind of backfilled my taste from like late 90s backwards to like through Wu-Tang and Biggie and Nas and I'm like so East Coasty I don't know why I mean like I grew up outside Boston but like I have such an East Coast rap bias and to be clear we for the kindness of your sort of for where you're from uh, we we refrain from putting House of Pain on the list we just House of Pain House of Pain's not not even from Boston Boston. thank you that's an LA group 
They, thank you. People, this is the hill. <laughs> I'll die on this hill. I'll die on Bunker Hill 10 times out of 10 because people think they wore Celtics jerseys one time. They're like, nobody from outside Boston would do that. And because they were at the St. Patrick's Day Parade in the Jump Around video. That's, that's, but they're that, from LA. It's really the most genius marketing move ever. They're like, we got these white rappers. We don't know how to market them. Everybody <laughs> hates white rappers. Let's make them super Irish and have all the footage be from the, uh, the St. Patty's Day Parade. St. Patrick's Day Parade. Give them Larry Bird jerseys. Yeah. We'll trick Boston into thinking they're from Boston. <laughs> but now people are like, oh, Boston, House of Pain. And they're like, no. It's, out, it's oh, it burns me so bad. You know who actually was from, <laughs> from Boston, though, is, uh, if, I don't know if you can see the shirt. A gangstar, yeah. yeah Guru, Guru was from like, Worcester, was, right? Well, yeah, that's right. And yeah, DJ Premier was from, uh, was from Texas. And somehow they became the most New York centric hip hop. So group New ever. York. They so this list. So anytime I have to make a list, I'm sorry, I'm talking so no, much. No, no, no this is your. This is what your great go. Anytime I have want. to make a list, I fully lose my mind and freak out about what I'm leaving off. And so, but Gangstar is like so New York, and I so I almost put a bunch of Gangstar, or I almost put a Gangstar song on here. Um, I almost like there, there's. There's a couple of bands I don't want to, or a couple of groups I don't want to touch on because I they come up in other in your guys' lists. But that Gangstar was a hard omission. Uh, De La Soul almost oh. made it on, but their stuff doesn't stream, right? Because they're they're um, Tommy Boy pop, Records. You're like, on notice. We Tommy hate Boy. you. Yeah, you won't give our boys De La Soul a fair and equitable deal it to allow. I, and and because of that, their legacy is disappearing. The kids do not know how genius amazing. the output of De La Soul is. I saw them live last summer, and I was blown away by the still got it factor. Oh, my God. They're amazing. I've seen De La Soul live a bunch of times. Yeah, those guys are my favorite. So, so full uh, uh, full disclosure, this is my second episode in a row where I feel like I'm on my back heels. Now, I, and I know Brian, too, I very much lived this era, right? I, and, and I think as a result, being the natural contrarian and Libran and just argumentative soul that I am, I didn't want to immerse myself in hip-hop when all my friends uh, were doing it. So I have this weird kind of osmosis knowledge of all this music without actually truly mm -hmm. digging in. So uh, I will probably be humiliated and ridiculed like I was on the Latin Soul episode. But don't worry, <laughs> don't worry, listeners. This, uh, this, this will come around, and, and Brian will, will eat it. On the, yeah, on the forthcoming when, episodes. When you're doing what, Randy Newman Seasides? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, here's that well, song from Toy Story again. <laughs> we've got, we've got, we've got, the, we've got. The theme song yeah, right. from Monk. <laughs> oh, all thanks. Right, That's my all right, all right. Ease up, ease up. Don't, don't, don't take Randy's name in vain here. Um, we've got uh, Dave Hill coming on for a metal episode. And that's oh, going to be fun. that'll be fun. And Brian, I'm going to watch Brian eat it real hard. Anyway, well, that said, I do feel like out of the three of us, Brian, this is definitely Brian has bragged that he's done zero research. For no, this. no, no, that was, a, that was a confession. That wasn't braggadocio <laughs> that he feels that secure in his knowledge. So we're going to start it off with Brian and we're going back to our categories like we've had in the past. And we're going to first all play our quintessential 90s East Coast rap song. Brian, I'm going to. Tee you up. I'm assuming this is your quintessential because it's the first one you put on. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. Yes, that 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 is that is that is my pick. Okay, here we go. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You picture Puffy Combs with the bottles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, do a remix, right? Oh. Niggas is mad. I get more butt than ass trays. Fuck a fair one. I get mine the fast way. Second best lisp in hip hop. Who's the best lisp? Cool G Rap. Oh, yeah. 
So All this right, is Brian. this is this is uh, the Craig Mack flavor in your ear remix. Julian, I don't know if you noticed, I, I swapped it out from the original to the remix at the last minute. I was gonna say, yeah, I noticed it. And is this? But this sounds like Biggie. This is Biggie. This is Biggie. So the flavor okay. in your ear remix. Uh, was a remix to the uh, huge hit single by Craig Mack. Craig Mack was actually the first artist on Bad Boy Records. It was not Biggie Smalls. I believe he was still uh, maybe signed to Uptown at the time. And for those not in the know who are listening, tell us a little bit about Bad Boy Records. Bad Boy Records was the premier uh, New York hip-hop label in the uh, mid-'90s, helmed by one Sean Puffy, Sean Puffy Combs, before all the... Uh, Myriad name Mon- changes. Right. So Puffy came up in uh, working under Andre Harrell at Uptown Records. And Biggie Smalls was his artist. He was signed to Uptown. Uh, famously fired by Andre Harrell. I'm not entirely sure why he was fired, but uh, uh, he always thanks Andre Harrell for forcing him to go out on his own. And he secures a deal, a distribution deal, uh, for, for Bad Boy Records, and then it ends up taking over the world. Craig Mack's, uh, Craig Mack's album came out first. And the flavor in your ear, in your ear single was huge. Uh, after that, yeah. After that, what comes year Biggie. is this? 90 this is ninety-four. Four, right? Uh, and the single was so big that they end up doing a remix for it, and it becomes a legendary posse cut. This—that's what we're listening to now. So this remix features Biggie Smalls, uh, LL Cool J, uh, Busta Rhymes, and uh, inexplicably Rampage, the Last Boy Scout, mm-hmm. because. Who's that? He was a he was a Buster Rhymes artist. He was on the Flip Mode. He was a member. Are of, they related? He was a member of the Flip Mode squad. Is is Rampage Buster Rhymes? Is I thought there was like some cousin situation. Familial with relationship. Buster Rhymes and one, yeah, some familiar. <laughs> See, I love that Josh. The whole time I was texting with him, he's like, "I'm not an expert in anything." Josh, you're already now. He's I like, mean, "It's no, Rampage Buster's love child." He's might be no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no I, I I might be wrong about that. I I might be wrong about that. But I thought there was some kind of like. Uh, some kind of familial racial relationship within the flip mode squad. It could be, or or uh, it, or, or if it's not Rampage, it might be a, a Spliff Star, who is yeah, who is always Buster's a uh, hype man. Hype man. Yeah. You know, I, you got to give it up for Buster Rhymes. Like he he always has pushed his crew like harder than anybody. He's always mm-hmm. yelling, "Flip mode is the squad." No, nothing. Flip mode is the greatest. Nothing ever took off from Flip mode except for Buster Rhymes. Well, actually, um, Rod Digger was great. We loved Rod. Yeah, Rod Digger was great. Um, and there was she was part of the Outsiders the- crew before uh, Flip mode though. On that, um, I always loved on on uh, the coming that flip mode squad versus deaf squad in terms of like guys with squads <laughs> right. that they were like clearly the top dog of, and then everybody else. Like I thought, I thought Redman did a nice job of pushing his squad as well. Redman is legendary. Redman is amazing. Actually, love Redman. Poor Craig Mack. Craig Mack, may he rest in peace. I remember him being. Uh, Craig Mack died. Craig Mack passed away like years a, ago. Yeah, like a year or two ago. But the. Uh, uh, incendiary underground uh, MC Chino XL uh, dissed uh, Craig Mack by calling him a fake red man uh, back in the day, <laughs> which I didn't think up until I when, when I heard that line, I was like, oh, damn, Craig Mack does have a red man kind of vibe to him. So why the, is this? Red your- man also almost made my my list, too. A longtime favorite. I'm, I'm well, wondering, is our list only New Yorkers? We can, we can revisit no, this question think, at the end, but I... I th- I know. Uh, well, that's I a, went super New York, but to me, I that feel like is my list like, is all New Yorkers. But I'm not sure. I there's other East Coast, there are other artists on the East Coast, but I don't of consider course. them East Coast in the same like New York boom bap tradition. Like it York. would feel almost weird to put like Trick Daddy 
on an East Coast, you know, well, even for if sure. it's Miami or south. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, if we're talking yeah, about like the I mean. roots from Philly or, or, sure. or yes. uh, you know, all the Jersey but groups, Redman, uh, Fuji's. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of that stuff, it comes in later, right? It seems like the, the establishment of the, the sort of East Coast. And this is a, this is a big question I'm going to ask a little, little, little later on as opposed to the, the name of this episode is 90s East Coast Rap as opposed to 90s East Coast Hip Hop. And I want to discuss that. But it seems like all the early 90s stuff and all the stuff that really when besides the West Coast strain that really kind of puts rap into the it, where it crosses over mm. is it's all out of New York. Yes. Now, um, it, especially specifically from like 1990 to 94. And that's yeah, because the, the, the roots to... kind of the roots started blowing up in like ninety three, ninety four, right? Like, do you want more? Was was that ninety four? I feel like not. Do you, do you want more? Was ninety four? Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. But it was so still pretty underground. Years. But uh, at yeah, that point, that's true. Um, mm-hmm. but but so Bad Boy Records was like the first East Coast label that kind of had the West Coast sensibility. That's what that's that that was what 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 the Biggie innovation was. It was like. You know, his Ready to Die album was like, you know, they looked at what Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and everybody was doing out right. west and said, OK, let's bring that kind of gangster uh, sensibility. Our guys are wearing Versace shirts now and, you know, mm-hmm. this and that. And oh, sorry, no, I no, keep no, 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 please go ahead. A big thing, if we're talking about the founding of Bad Boy, the thing that I knew first, the like, legendary thing about um, Sean Combs and Bad Boy, right, was that from the from the onset he owned his own masters of all the recordings mm. right that's like something that i i remember learning about him early on that that was like a huge business coup that he was able to win and that served him you know that's why he's like a zillionaire now in part and it's crazy when you think about his trajectory you know puffy combs started out as a dancer a backup dancer right. for heavy d and that the boys like that was his deal i remember the first time i ever heard of sean the name sean puffy combs it was do you remember when the there was that um uh uh a stampede or something at city college. He, he threw on a celebrity basketball game that, mm-hmm. you know, they sold way more tickets than the venue could hold. So it was way over capacity. Something happened. I think a fight broke out. Maybe somebody had a gun and all these people tried to rush out of the place and got trapped. And, you know, people got trampled. A few people died. It was like this huge, this huge deal. It was all over the New York news. Oh my gosh. And Puff, and Puffy Combs was the guy that organized that thing. So why is wow. this, why is this a, the quintessential, in your mind, the quintessential East Coast, 90s so, East Coast rap I will track. say, I will say, it's it's hard to say the about anything. Or this it, is like a the, Right, like, so like, for East Coast rap, I was just like, oh my God, this is like an exercise in, in, in futility to try and, and say anything is the definitive this, right? But this is for sure a, what I would consider a, consens- a quintessential New York you know, East Coast rap record of the 90s. First off, it was a huge hit. This was like, it was number one on the hip hop charts. It was like number nine on the Billboard charts. It was like, you know, and uh, it sounds New York, right? So this is back when New York had a sound, you know, before kind of like the South and like the trap uh, sound took over all of hip hop. So it's got what I consider, you know, you need, you need, it's got to be sample based in the 90s, right? When hip hop first First, when they first started making rap records, it was like what you know. Think, think Sugar Hill Gang. You know they got live bands in there to like replay these, uh, you know, these classic disco songs or whatever. Um, then come to the, you know, '80s to late '80s, it was like they were using samplers, programming them, and and uh, uh, um, you know, for the most part, they're programming their own drums. You know, by the time this this era rolls around, it's 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 got a whole new sound. It's streamlined. It's super hard. The drums are always sampled. Then they'll throw in maybe a loop from another record. Um, I think uh, the New York 90s sound often has sampled horns in them. 
you know, I don't even know um, for sure what this record comes from, but I don't want to snitch either. So I didn't exactly look it up. <laughs> you know, there's like this. Right. This, they, uh, might, right they might still owe clearances. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. You know, like, like people like DJ Premier and like they hate, you know, that that website who sample.com because it just snitched mm-hmm. on everybody. Because back in the day, it was like, you know, you, you sampled your, your 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 record and then you just hoped you got away with it. You know, if you were if you were mm-hmm. clever enough about it. But, yeah, this has got a horn sample in it. It's got some 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 really hard drums on it. Uh, uh, Craig Mack is is rapping in a in an unmistakable New York style. Uh, and it was just huge. You know, it was a huge New York record that went huge everywhere. You know, if if. You know, the Funk Flex, you know, debuted it on Hot 97 and gave it all the funk, bombs. Funk you know? Flex. It was, a, it, it was a huge deal, you know. That's a I name just remember me. high school. Yeah, days. man. He's still, are still you, around. Are you saying you went to high school with, with Funk Flex? I, no, I'm just saying <laughs> Funk Master Flex is, the, the, you know, that Hot 97 that was in my, uh, yeah. that was very much in my high school. All right, continuing on, because we, we have many songs to cover. Um, sure. We're going to go with Josh's quintessential East Coast. I didn't. 90s. I don't know if I ordered them right. So I will. I'll intro it before you. Okay. So tell me. You, drop you tell me. You tell me. Give me a little something. So something. my quintessential New York, and and it's for many of the same reasons. Uh, my quintessential East Coast '90s rap song is "Shook Ones Part Two by Mob Deep. Mm. And my reason, it's. I think. I mean, this has been done a million times already. But if you're setting. Uh, Yep, so there's this sample that I think no one has identified still to this point. Oh, I have. The, I'll tell you I'll tell you off there. Do you know it? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I can't wait to hear. That is so great. Um but then it hold on, it comes up. Boom. Anyway, it's just like murky and the drums hit super hard, like Brian was saying, and no such thing as halfway crooks is like an all-time great lyric it's and it's an all-time like new york lyric and this song if i was like i want to set a movie in the 90s i want it to sound hard <laughs> and grimy and i want the song to i want the uh, hip-hop song to set that this is the needle drop where you're like oh i'm gonna see someone's tims it's gonna pan up and this it's like you know you know the vibes this is what like it is so it is like such a um prototypical east coast boom bap 90s track what year is this do we know 95 96 yeah let me lie and tell us and 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 so what tell me tell me a little bit about mob deep um so sorry no it's all good queensbridge is it queensbridge oh they're a queensbridge Uh, product too okay Mm -hmm. a story i represent is now 2013 i must be getting i googled it and i got some like uh remaster or something uh prodigy and havoc are a duo or were a duo um prodigy since passed away was he was very open about living with sickle cell anemia uh and i think that was meaningful to a lot of people who were also living in that condition um but this this they've had this album was big but it's this song is like the one like they're not a one-hit wonder but they're the this song is so far and away i think their legacy above all to to in the general popular imagination it does it, it does feel very nas too a lot of it yeah when i yeah. first it's heard this same, record it, i remember thinking oh wow these these guys are rapping like nas they sound like nas yep right um this is this album's from 1995 um and it's not 95. even their first album mm-hmm. they were probably so, like 19 or so when they when they came yeah, out with this said, record and their first album old, was like uh, called like juvenile hell or something like that they were like and this one he says i'm only 19 but my mind is older uh, right. And when, when, uh, yeah. 
Sorry, I've I've had one whiskey. No, uh, you're only great. nineteen, but I'm mine only... is older. And now a zillion theater kids all over the world know that line because they right watch from Hamilton. Hamilton. Oh, this really? Is, right. It's such a but it's such a cold line. Like this, this is just like a merciless, remorseless song. <laughs> so okay, um, it, yeah. It, 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 there's this all all of that. This music, a lot of it has that sort of dark, ominous feeling you know this idea that this sort of like entrenched uh not entropic but um and i always feel like that that's me certainly from the earlier the earlier 90s stuff until like the bad boy stuff really goes prime time and it becomes pop music you know by Mm -hmm. in the late 90s which i always thought was sort of like were you guys did you find it scary back then it's it it definitely sounded dark and om- ominous, but in a cool way. You know, it wasn't like right. yeah, because that was always the thing with Wu Tang when they first dropped. For me, I was like, it was like kind of scary. But they're fun too. That's the thing about Wu. I was I was not scared of the music, but on the first Wu Tang album, Enter the Wu Tang Thirty Six Chambers, came out in ninety three. Right on the same day that Midnight Marauders, the Tribe Called Quest album, came out, mm. which is a huge day. Um, just incredible record store day. Uh, I've read about. I think uh, <laughs> Questlove wrote about it um, on the twentieth anniversary. But uh, I think it was Questlove. But the um, Wu Tang. I was so terrified of the sketch that preceded the song Method Man, which is a great, like pretty fun kind of sing songy song. And the, the sketch, t- the torture sketch? like one of it's the torture yeah, sketch. Yeah, yeah. And I was like a kid and it was so gruesome. I'm like such a squeamish person even to this day. But there's just it is just a and it's so cartoonish. The the torch it is like a, an outlining of all the tortures that the Wu Tang clan is going to perpetrate upon someone. And there's <laughs> which include so uh, I'm gonna sew your asshole shut and keep feeding you and feeding you and feeding you. Uh, I'm gonna lay your nuts out on your dresser. Just, just your nuts, nuts laying on the dresser. <laughs> and bang them shits with a rusty spike, like with blah. a spike bat. Uh, <laughs> spike bat, like blah. Um, um, I'm gonna hang you out an 11 story window by your dick. Oh, the small phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's there's a couple. I'm gonna uh, put a um, put a hanger on the stove. Uh, That's right. Put that shit in your ass real slow, like. Tss. Anyway, it is. It was so. To, like, I think you got four tween, before. It was so uh, unnerving to tween me, but like the music itself, there's so much. Um, I mean, I'll we'll get to Wu Tang later, but it's just like so vibrant and like there's some there's like a lot of silliness in some of it, like Method Man kind of singing on the song Method Man and singing his own name. It's like not. It's not all menace, but there is like a real gravity right, to it. Right, singing like the, a, 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 a Hall and Oates melody. Yeah. Right? You know, that's the method of modern love. Oh, is that where that's from? Yeah, that makes sense. Right. It's great. Anyway, but this this song is like intentionally, unflinchingly menacing. And so did Mob Deep, this was where they. He will rock you in your face and stab your brain with your nose bone. You know what I mean? I feel like it's so brutal. It's vivid. And what, these were like um, two small kids. Like Mob Deep yeah, were not right. physically imposing, but they were scary, sh- scary short guys. And was mm-hmm. this song really their moment, or did they kind of go on to to? They kept, oh no, they they, they went going. on. Yeah, they, they were they had, yeah. had a couple singles off of this album and their second album, mm-hmm. Hell on Earth, uh, or yeah. I'm sorry, the third album. You know, but I don't I don't know if they really. But the one after, the the, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, um, what's the next one that they had that sampled uh, uh, that sampled White Lines? Um, that one is escaping me. They remixed it with Little Kim. What is the sample that Josh it doesn't can't figure out what it is? Uh, I think it's um, 
I think it's a Quincy Jones song. Um, I got to dig up the name, but I've I've heard it, and it's it's. If you hear where it comes from, it's like a jazz record that, mm-hmm. you know, he just took a two second, uh, uh, you know, a little section that's like deep buried in the record. Like you have to be a madman to have heard this little section and be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna take that and loop it because it's it, it's it's not something that repeats itself. I think it might have been in the middle in the midst of a solo. Uh, anyway, they ended up looping it and it, it it became this amazing classic record. All right, I'm going to go ahead and play my quintessential track, uh, which is maybe maybe the earliest song on this uh, on this list here. A great one. Hey, I'm East Coast stomping. Yep. I'm going to only talk a little bit about this and then let Brian do all the work on this one. <laughs> Yo, um, when I was in eighth grade, like this was the only dance you needed to know. The fucking East Coast stomp. The fucking leaders of the new school, you bring your knees all the way up, <laughs> up to your fucking chest. You're rocking them Tim's. It's the only dance you probably could do wearing Tim's. <laughs> so this is a scenario from Tribe Called Quest from their second album, The Low End Theory, and it features members of leaders of the new school. Um which this has been identified by some as the greatest posse cut in the history of hip-hop or, or rap. Do you agree with that statement, Brian? <laughs> the greatest posse cut. If it's if it's not the greatest, it's the second greatest, right? It's, the, it's either think, this or the symphony by the Juice Crew. And mm. I think the reason being or is the, that... Or the Flavin' Year remix that I just played. This is... um. This song launches the career of Busta Rhymes, um, where he sort of comes out of nowhere at the end, and that's what I remember the most. I was like, who is this human being who sounds like this? Um, and we're ready yeah. to clip. Let me think. Who I lost? <laughs> uh, what else? What else, Brian? Talk. Talk about this. Talk about this song. Talk about tribe so, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Buster Rhymes uh, was a member of uh, Leaders of the New School, who are all featured on this track. But and, of course, he's uh, the one is, that do, went on to the do, great success. Do any? Do any of the leaders of the New School pop up anywhere else ever? Kind of not. Kind of right. not. Um, they released two albums. Also, this is also before Tribe becomes tribe right like this is sort of nah, a weird no tribe became tribe with this album so the first yeah. their first album was a huge hit too so this the first album had uh can i kick it first oh, album okay. had bonita applebum like the uh, first album had i left my wallet and el segundo like they were already right. kind of the kind of jumps so out as first, a fully formed first, rap group and the first tribe record must be late 80s no no the first Nin- tribe record is like 90, 90 no maybe 90, it is 89 because because this is 91 oh right? is it Low oh you might be 91. right you might be right yeah um, but yeah, that first Tribe record, you know, they already had their sample game down, you know, they, and they had huge hits. So this is, you know, by this time, you know, they're kind of doing a victory lap. You know, they're, I remember um Because it performing. took me a long time to, to, to put together that this, it wasn't until Midnight, the Midnight Marauders and a war tour and all that stuff. Like, and yeah. I, I, I was able to mentally connect these two things. And also a note, I was digging endlessly for the name of the program that they're using to in the video to show that's it's an video, actual program it's an actual program it's a video editing program from the early oh, 90s that's so wild. that i used to use and i was like what is the name of it i cannot remember i remember it's that a, seeming so high tech have you watched right. did, you, did yeah. you watch the video now i know the video exactly oh my where God. they're dragging and dragging and they're like clicking and selecting the rapper and stuff it seems so advanced back then i love any 
any video that has something that is like high tech looking and then 10 years later looks like the oldest thing in the world. The other like that the Nelly video. Yeah, any Nelly video, the um, Red Man Da Goodness video goodness. that's like a video game. Uh, it's like Super Mario 64 style graphics. I just remember there's a Nelly video where where him and Kelly Rowland, I think, are like texting each other on like those uh, the two way pages. Yes, the sidekicks. But, but yep. she's actually writing something in like Microsoft Excel. It's supposed to be like a text message, but she's writing in Excel. It's like that's so funny. Um, um, but I love any of that. But th- yeah. yeah, this song is huge. It's great. Huge Buster, and Buster Rhymes is like. He's so ca- Buster Rhymes is like a posse cut cheat code. Like, and you just like, and you gotta let Buster him, and you gotta put him on last. Up. If you notice the flavor yeah. in your ear remix, well, you can't follow Buster Rhymes. They also put him. They put. They also had him bad and clean up at, uh, in the flavor so, in your ear. And remix. he's he's apparently nineteen when he cuts this. That's ridiculous. Also, so he, he apparently so, was not a member of the group at the time that they were trying to get signed, uh, but uh, but the label insisted that uh, leaders of the new school add him to the group uh, in order for them to get a deal. They were right. Yeah, I, <laughs> the, I, a I case think, of the label making the call I think that correctly. Was wise. Also, so, if I'm not mistaken, I think Chuck D named Busta Rhymes. He gave him his name. All I remember is, yeah, for, like this is one of the is also one of the first rap songs where I actually was like that his his verse. I mean, I can't remember but all the row row like a dungeon dragon. Yeah. All that stuff was like embedded in my brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was huge. Yeah. And I and it's it's interesting too that you know he he is like maybe does I mean I guess he achieves these heights later on with um like I got you all in check and all and, and oh he had a huge run of singles put your hands where my eyes can see was huge um, he had that one with Janet Jackson with another very futuristic video that probably looks really old now <laughs> um, he, oh man he what's was, the one yeah. uh, uh, give me some more with the psycho give sample is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, no, Buster, Buster's a legend, and he still well, kind of, you know, will pop up, you know, famously. He did that Chris Brown remix where he's like rapping faster than God. Oh yeah. And is that really his claim? To, I mean, was he sort of the first guy to rap at light speed? To not be able really, to... not really. really. No, Buster's claim to fame was being that wild guy who's like freaking, you know, mm-hmm. the Dungeon Dragon stuff, super creative, lots of energy. Right. Um, and then it just, so, you know, it just so happens that Buster Rhymes raps his ass off. You know, he's a mm-hmm. he's a legend. You know. Um. And also, I think it's interesting that this song is very atypical for Trap Call Quest in terms of the sound, I would say. It's it a little feels, rowdier. It feels, it's a little it's rowdier. rowdier. Than, than it feels tribe. much more East Coast and not as, as, uh, as nuanced and jazzy yeah. and slick. It's, it's like it's kind of got a raucous energy to it. That's fair. Um, all right. So continuing on, again, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, doing, I'm doing my best. I'm going to let Brian carry the weight on this one. But I'm so excited to get you in the room when we start talking about um, uh, obscure Lost 70s singer-songwriters. I'm going to have so much fun. Um, <laughs> the, uh, this is our outliers category. Um, and we're going to go in with uh, Brian here. I, is, is this your outlier? This is my outlier. Wait, well, I don't know what you're playing, but I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my outlier. I didn't realize this was East Coast. Well, that maybe that's yeah. why it's an outlier. Uptown Saturday Night. Mm-hmm. This is the incredible Bronx hip hop duo Camp Low with their single Lucini, which was the second single off of their 1996 record Uptown Saturday Night. 
Um, I chose it as an outlier. It doesn't necessarily sound um, out of place in a New York mix. You know, it's got the hard drums, sampled bass, you know, horn samples. You know, horn samples are very 90s, uh, 90s East Coast hip hop. Um, but really what was interesting about this group, Camp Low, is that these dudes, you know, this is the middle of the, of the Keep It Real era, you know. So if you figure like the 80s, you know, cats like Grandmaster Flash and Africa Bambada and all those dudes, they were dressing up in like these crazy get-ups. They wanted to look like Earth, Wind & Fire, you know, or like the eyes, they had these crazy stage outfits and, uh, you know, really from Run DMC on is when cats started dressing like in street clothes and in the 90s, this was like, it was, it was very much the Keep It Real era. You know, like only rap about what you know. You should be like a dude rapping about your hood and and your you know only your life experiences. And Camp Lowe's deal was completely uh, turning that upside down. Like they were cats that were rapping completely made up tales about like black exploitation movies and like you know you know fashioning themselves as like you know diamond crooks you know on a heist. You know every every everything about their image and about what they were rapping about uh, was like from like seventies. You know, black exploitation era. You know, which is why the the album is called uh, Uptown Saturday Night. The first single was called Cooley High. You know, that was their whole vibe. They're great. They're and, and they're, nobody knows what they're, they're rapping still about. Toge- <laughs> they're still together and still doing it. They put out an album like five years ago that I listened to a ton. Let me look up the name of it. I did a show with them like five years ago. They I like oh my booked God. them to do a show at Union Hall in Brooklyn. They're incredible. They were great. They closed. They did like 20 minutes to close and they were just like super pros, crushed it. It was great. I, w- I was like, I can't believe we got them to do this. Yeah. I love their style. Their whole thing was just about trying to be the flyest MC. You know what I mean? So they were just rapping some crazy, <laughs> wild, super speedy. I remember at the time people thought that Geechee Suede, the, the, the two rappers are named Geechee Suede and Sonny Chiba. <laughs> and uh, everybody was saying Geechee Suede sounds like that dude from uh, Diggable Planets. He sounded like Butterfly from, from Diggable Planets. Uh, mm-hmm. So the answer to that was, the, you know, he got Butterfly from Diggable Planets on that album. They did a duet together uh, on a song called... Um, uh, swing and it's and it's and it's killing. Yeah, the whole album was produced by Ski, uh, who famously talk about, had done talk about Ski a little bit because he's an interesting like producer. He feels like he pops up everywhere. And is this is this an early Ski production or is this like this kind is of- an early Ski production? He used to be part of a group called Original Flavor, um, who are kind also, of responsible. Let's, let's mention for, really for- quickly too. It's the sam- the sample, which is a killing sample from that Dynasty track, Adventures in the Land of Music. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Which is like you know a great you know. Earth, Wind, and Fire alternate tune. It sounds like it should be an Earth, Wind, and Fire song. But anyway, and also, I always think it was from this weird movie called Ninja Terminator, which has a very a very similar thing. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> go, go, go. So anyway, Ski was this dope-ass New York producer, you know, part of a group called Original Flavor, who um, uh, were affiliated with Jay-Z and and the whole, you know, Rockefeller camp. So Ski also did a bunch of stuff on Jay-Z's uh, landmark debut album, um, right. Reasonable Doubt. Uh, I think he did... Um, Dead Presidents, the first single, uh, which was right. incredible, and um, feeling it uh, uh, with Mary J. Blige. Um, unfortunately, I don't think Ski did all that much on the mainstream uh, level after that. You know, probably um, because uh, you know it became too expensive to make sample-based hip hop uh, into the late '90s, and you saw that kind of keyboard style, you know, uh, helmed by uh, people like Swizz Beats. Uh, and that type of trash uh, take over, but uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, not no, fan, Ski, we're not fans of the Swiss Beats. I'm uh, not a fan. We've got of some. Swiss I think beats. we've got some Swiss Beats coming up later. Oh, do though. we? Oh shit! All right. I think we've got one. Just because uh, we'll talk about it later. Okay, cool. 
But yeah, so uh, so yeah, Campolo, they they did this. This was their own only uh, major label album. I think this was on Profile Records, and uh, it did decently. And uh, then it kind of they uh, uh, never put out anything else again on the mainstream level. But they're still doing things. They're still putting out records uh, uh, independently, and uh, they're still very dope. Josh will continue. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Would you we need to say something? Oh, I was gonna say the killer. That eighty blocks from Tiffany is the first. They they put out I guess a sequel to that a couple of months ago, uh, like a follow up album. But the first one came out in I guess twenty eleven. I just looked it up, and it's terrific. There's so much great stuff on there. A couple what of friends find- of mine play in a band for them. You know they, they you know they're doing something at like the Blue Note, or at least they were back when there was a thing called no. there was a thing called live music. And I've heard um, of that. right, so the blue uh, at the Blue Note in uh, over on uh, West Third Street, they they'll they'll do like this series where they they get you know classic '90s uh, uh, New York rappers, and they'll come in with a full band and just play you know playful shows. Like oh. Mob Deep did it, you know Prodigy was yeah. doing it solo uh, uh, before he passed away. Um, I think Master Ace and uh, and and Camp Low. and a friend of mine MDs for for them and. Uh, because I'm trash, I have yet to make it out to one of these shows. Oh, I would love to go. That's that would be such a fun show. Um, okay, my outlier. This is I'll I'll intro it while you queue it up because I don't again I don't know if my songs are in the right order. But this is the sound of this. I think is what is the outlier part of it. It's like very synthesizer funk based, very West Coast, which is overt. Um, it was like an intentional olive branch to the West Coast scene. This is uh, Notorious B.I.G. going back to Cali. Mm. I, I hope it doesn't queue up the skit. Yep, it does queue up the skit. <laughs> you can forward it about 12 seconds. <laughs> yeah. I'm up. I'm up. I'm up. Puff. I'm um. up. <laughs> Yo, flight. Flight 412 on the LAX. Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> but this song, so this is. Um, this uh, second season, third season of Slow Burn, the podcast, is all about the East Coast, West Coast, Tupac, Biggie, the, the East Coast, West Coast rivalry and the murders of Tupac Shakar and Notorious B.I.G. And this is just a very West Coast sounding album made kind of as like a, an attempt to to take over the West Coast from this super East Coast bad boy records camp. Uh, while the West Coast was really held down by like Death Row, Suge Knight, um, Dr. Dre's sound, Snoop, Tupac. Interesting. I don't think I've ever heard this. That it, it's, it's, You've it's never great. heard the Life After Death album? No, I mean, not in its entirety. No, I have not spent time. It's so good. But this does sound like it's straight up, you know, just straight up a Dre thing or something. Mm-hmm. So it's like right that makes it a perfect outlier right because it's a new it's it's the quintessential New York rapper rapping yep. over what obviously sounds like a West Coast rap production. Yeah. Now this wow. beat was also famously used though by um, uh, uh, EPMD. That's uh, right. Oh, yeah, okay, yes. yeah. I was gonna say that this feels like that. So why? Okay. Uh, speak on that, Josh, if you or or Brian, sort of. Why is Biggie the quintessential New York rapper? What makes him sort of a definitive of this sound, and why is he such a big deal? Sounds like kind of a ridiculous thing to ask, but you know, if you were explaining so, to somebody, what, why, why do people care about Biggie Small so much? I mean, part of it is he. Part of it is the sound, but part of it is the mythos, right? Like the mythos of East Coast versus West Coast, and he, Biggie specifically. Um, leading up to and after his death became this mythic figure of the like the east coast rapper like uh, like legend it mythologically died for that which is not true right you know exactly but like i mean i know i know about his whole like you know 
never wrote anything down, mm-hmm. sort of just but, kind of was rapping. They discovered him like rapping on Fulton Street or something, right? Or whatever. What's the, I don't know. Well, there's that legendary like freestyle that where Brooklyn at, where Brooklyn at, is, which is like, I mean, he's just incredible. And he's so like hyper lyrical, these hard drums, sample based songs, worked with DJ Premier, worked with all these, these legendary East Coast producers on his first album, uh, but like became the kind of like in, I think in the public imagination is so closely linked to the so closely tied to as being the east coast guy because of the east coast west coast animosity right that's that's my he was the east coast superstar at the time when they needed one right so like Mm -hmm. you know new york was always the epicenter of hip-hop and then comes you know death row records and and dr dre and snoop dogg were killing shit they like they took over rap and New York hip hop was always, they were never at a shortage of cats that could rap their asses off, right? Like it was always like, you know, Nas and, you know, J, mm-hmm. you know, Cool G Rap, Big Daddy King, KRS, like all these guys, you know, you know, New York cats could rhyme, right? But they didn't really have superstars on that level, you know? So Nas was, was like the next, the next cat. And when his first album, uh, Illmatic, came out, everybody, you know, everybody loved it. It was super critically acclaimed, but he was kind of like an introverted dude and not really very, you know, um, uh, boisterous or, or 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 very you know he didn't have that personality like biggie had so biggie he rhymed like he wrapped his ass off so he was as good as everybody said he was and he had you know personality for days and then he had hits on top of that so it was like he you know he kind of had everything you wanted you know all wrapped it's, into one it's in, so in, fascinating because the history of the stuff that they're really like the 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 backstory and and the mythos is such a big part of of hip hop and and, and and mind you at the time I was I was I, I hated on big because he was too big you know you, you know he was so popular you know what I mean like I was well, the, the songs are huge pop songs right yeah, like, yeah. big papa was everywhere right. juicy was everywhere that this was like when rap songs were becoming like pop songs like in meshing like yeah. not not just the sound although it's partly the sound right uh but like hypnotize huge pop song mo money mo problems incredibly huge pop song huge pop sample the whole chorus right, right? so th- and this was i mean this was shit that like in the suburbs was getting played at school dances this is like major i have a horrible story music. about djing a party this this life after death came out the year after i graduated high school and we had like this crazy house party that i was djing at and uh, the album just came out. Life After Death had just come out. So I only really knew Hypnotize at the time. But some people kept uh, telling me, you know, play that track with uh, Play More Money, More Problems. This wasn't even out as a single yet. And I hadn't heard the album because it literally just came out. But I, I, I put it on because people were asking for it. So I played, uh, you know, I'm like, fine, 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 I'll play it. And I played More Money, More Problems. And everybody starts losing their mind. It was like, you know, I felt like, you know, I felt like God at the moment. And then I accidentally... Uh, 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 tapped the uh, it was it wasn't even on on vinyl it was a CD player I actually accidentally tapped and stopped the record and the entire party just looked at me with such hate and disdain oh, no. and like, I ruined <laughs> the party that was you know just thirty seconds before I was at you know everybody was at their height in ecstasy and then I ruined it for them. It is such a huge pop song though, like it is. You can hear why it just like gets. I mean, the sample, obviously, but like the rhymes, everything, it just like comes together in a song that like it, like your grandmother can dance to it. It's like that. It, it has the appeal all the way down. And, it, and, and like Brian said, he raps his ass off. He's such a good rapper. Yeah. Is, is, is Puffy producing all this stuff? Puffy is a producer in the Quincy Jones 
right. Rick Rubin. So sense. he's listed. He's listed, and but like he's, he's list- not the one P- really Puffy, musically Puffy making had, the beat or anything. Has never picked up an MPC, you know, or or right. an SP twelve hundred. He doesn't make beats, but he goes in there and he he gets the performance out of them, and he's you know. He's the mastermind of how we're going to sell this record, you know, get gotcha. a good performance out of you or whatever. Um, and so why do you, why are we, can we talk a little bit about the distinction between rap and hip hop in this respect? In, in the respect to this genre, not yeah. like, you know, what makes these songs that we're picking 90s East Coast rap as opposed to 90s East Coast hip hop? Do you, I, or, or do you have a distinction? Is there, is there none? For, for me, I, I don't make the distinction. There was a gotcha. time when I would have. Um, but I see it kind of as, um, I kind of see it as nonsense. Basically, it'll, it'll be like the diehard purists will tell you something to the effect of, you know, the real, real stuff is called is, is hip hop. And when it's commercial, you know, oh, it's just made for radio I play. Always, I always think rap. about it the other way around. Right. Like hip hop, hip hop is the more musical stuff. Right, right. And rap. So is, I think it was it Karis one that had the famous quote that it was like, you know, rap is something you do, hip hop is something you live. You know, and I'm, you know, all of that is just, you know, it's, it's, it's rap music to me. It's, you know, hip hop, yeah. to me, I use hip hop and rap interchangeably, but there was a time probably in my early twenties when I would have said the opposite. I'd be like, no, that's not hip hip hop. But really it's, 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 it's equivalent of like, uh, somebody saying, well, I wouldn't consider that, you know, I would consider this a movie cause it's like a serious work and I would consider that, or no, no, I would, I would consider a this, film. A, a, this film a film versus a movie versus yeah. a movie. Right. And it's bullshit. It's just semantics. The, the- the only other way I've I've heard it used in a, a way that that feels u- it le- enduringly useful is just like hip hop being the umbrella of like the kind of the culture of like hip hop music being rap music and like break break dancing and graffiti and like all hip hop being like the like real true school like four elements definition right. which I think is still I'm like oh that helps as an organizing principle to understand why like you would say hip hop music and rap music because one is right like right hip hop speaks to a whole culture that doesn't necessarily have to be pertaining to music right but rap rap Mm -hmm. is just music but yeah i remember those days where like you would get real in the weeds about like is that that i mean jesus and mara talk about it all the time on the show that's just like is that that real hip hop (laughs) like do you know what do you know about hip hop and it's like it's it's the same it's a synonymous at this point right all right so my outlier is uh, I'm glad that Brian let me put this on the list because it, it's sort of, you could argue that it doesn't qualify. Oh, okay. I was obsessed with this record. I still am obsessed with this record. I think this is a perfect outlier choice. I don't think I've ever listened to this record still to this day. I got to. Remove the cancer, breaking its back, chisel next for the answer. Introduce it for the people. Okay, yes, all right, so sorry. This is the rapper uh, Keith Matthew Thornton, better known as Cool Keith, under his alter ego as Dr. Octagon. Um, Dr. Octagon, there are three Dr. Octagon records, but for me, there's really only the one Dr. Octagon record, which is uh, it's him and it's a collaboration with him and Dan the Automator and also DJ Qbert. And the three, they put this absolutely insane, trippy, barely hip hop record, almost like a hipster hop record, because I felt like I've, you know, this this was like I heard this in college, and you had to be very cool to to listen to this music, you know, um, and to try and figure out what he's talking about. And uh, well, it's it it feels like Zappa y. It's very exactly that's that's a good call. This is like some Frank Zappa hip hop. Did um, did. Did, did any non-white people listen to this album? Uh, maybe not. 
you tell me. I'm just me. curious. I, I, I'm not saying that as like to clown, but well, it, for, I, for me, I it think, was like this. This was a the, record that I, I didn't know anybody that had ever heard this album. Cool Keith interesting. has a super authentic pedigree. That guy's from Ultra Magnetic MCs. He's <laughs> real Bronx right. legend. But um, this is a record that I would always see talked about in Rolling Stone. I would see it talked about in Spin magazine. Oh, I would Brian, see don't get Brian started in, on Rolling Stone. So this, you think this is raucous hip hop? Is that what you're trying no, to say? It's just it's this. It's like nerd nerd hip hop. Yeah, I white mean it's in that. Love. But but isn't that like? Don't you think that it belongs? There's a whole lane for that for sure. Is I'm it just, doesn't? That, don't you think that there are elements of De La that belong to that, and there are elements of yeah. uh, even Tribe for sure. You know, it's like it, it, it is crossover to a degree. I mean more it's tribe not, than more, more daylight than tribe. But um no, it's a perfect outlier. It's like straight it's a it's right. a it's, it it's a landmark New York hip hop album. But well, you know, Cool Keith is from the Bronx with Danny Automator's in LA dude, didn't he? He's San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. But uh, West Coast. Right, because he did the he did the Deltron thirty thirty album as well, right? Which right. like feels like it's kind of in this lane. Right. It's all exactly and I I mean mm-hmm. are, is is Black Star sort of in this lane too? No, not no, at no, not at all. It's not this weird. Black Star Black wasn't Star nerd is... rap. It was like under yeah. underground conscious rap. Gotcha. So you know, like so it you smell like this, incense. The, the, this <laughs> so this feels like so. Tell tell me a little bit about Cool Keith. Like what? Where did you? I mean, like where, what is his pedigree in terms of like? Was he just always an underground MC? Yeah, but back, but 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 he's from the era when all hip hop was underground. You know, so gotcha. he was, so he, he really he's he really goes back. Yeah, yeah. He he was part of the ultra ultra magnetic MCs. He was like the lead MC from Ultra Magnetic. Um and said G, the producer, the the guy that made the beats in, in Ultra Magnetic MC was also legendary who did um, you know, I think all the production on Boogie Down Productions first album, Criminal Minded. Um, super important group. Their 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 album, um uh uh Critical Beatdown is like legendary, you know, hip hop album that all that all hip hop fans fans should have. Uh, famously sampled. You would know him as the guy whose voice is being sampled by Prodigy in "Change My Pitch Up, Smack My Bitch Up." Oh, really? Uh, which is which comes from Ultra Magnetic MC's uh, "Ego Tripping." Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very That's great. Cool. It's, it's a great record. Yeah, Ultra Magnetic. They were kind of like pre De La Souls, um, before De La Soul. Like De La Soul's rhyme style kind of was influenced by them. I always think of this record and the Shuggy Otis record for whatever reason in the same kind of light, and I always kind of mentally get. Cool Keith and Shuggy Otis confused because I think they both struggle with mental illness and they both these records kind of hit at the I don't know they're like these sort of weird one-offs you know yeah yeah in a way because he he never really went on to do anything after this either I don't think no well he kind of I stayed mean, being that dude that weird dude that, that super mm-hmm. left of center guy I, I, I bought one of his later albums after this it was like Black Elvis or something yeah Maybe he's on the cover wearing like an Elvis wig and yeah he shows up in like D- Prince Paul's album uh, Prince Among Thieves great right. great record um, and, and and yeah, I guess so. You you don't th- you don't think that the roots this is doesn't occupy that world a little bit. This isn't no. this isn't you really okay. Interesting. This is too this, nerdy out there. It's not because it's not for the the deep like music nerd like the way that the way that the um the early roots albums were for like jazz or the or the, who or the early black eyed peas albums. Or the early, or the early Black Eyed Peas albums, but this is like a different thing. This is like this to me feels it, it, like I said, it's Zappa. It's like almost its own right. genre. Right. Right. That, where like, I mean, Zappa is a good analog. And and, and like, I mean, there's this there's this lane for hip hop. You know what I mean? Yes. So I think the Cool Keith, you know, Doctor Octagon would, album would like Bismarck Key be in this lane? No, no. This would be like think nerdier. Think so. So Prince Paul's Psychoanalysis album would be in sure. this lane. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But Prince uh, Paul gets Prince Paul is like considered maybe the, maybe like Company Flow early stuff like LPs oh, for early stuff. You know, it's just really like super weird and out there. Um, uh, interesting. And so, yeah, I, that always so. blew my mind too because like I just mentioned, but like there there it was like the, all the guys who listened to this were listening to the early Roots records and they were listening to the early Black Eyed Peas records. Oh wow! Before you know, like because I before Fergie before Fergie pre Fergie when uh, the homie Kim Hill sang in that group. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, but the roots were like roots were like, like Josh was saying, they were kind of coming off of this. Like the labels didn't know how to market them, so they were right. almost like this, you know, coming. They 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 toured Europe for like a year and a half before right. even coming back. In in in, you know, they were trying to market them as like an acid jazz group or something like that. You know, so when they got back here, you know, they started doing the Black Lily Jam sessions, of which you famously were of which thrown I famously off stage. Was, we we talked about it on the podcast. We right? did talk about it, but I, I think this, I was, is the, this is the perfect place to actually tell that story. Um. In 1998, I was the uh, come you know summer off from college and like starting to play out my songs and I'm going to like jam sessions and I went to the <laughs> Wetlands because there was like a jam session. I'm just laughing because I want to I want to picture you going to jam sessions. I, yeah, I mean you know that's how you meet people, right? Like I guess I that's how. I, I but it. I was always going to blues jam I sessions this. and I and, and so I basically like went to this thing and there was a band playing and people were getting up on stage. I was like, well, I'm just going to get up in line to the keyboard chair and just wait until wait my turn. And so I get on stage and then there's the drummers playing this big guy with like big hair and, a, and, a, and an Afro pick. In it. And I'm just like, no, no clue. And they're all like, all right, like, and I'm sort of playing and whatever, and kind of like trying to figure out what's going on. Not very well. And then I played for like a song or two. And then this woman, like they call it this, this singer, uh, Jaguar Wright comes up. Who I didn't oh, know. Oh, sure. Who, no, that was. And the first thing she just turns to me, she goes, get the fuck off the stage, white boy. <laughs> and I'm just like, I was like, okay, okay, I'll leave. That's so funny. And so I got thrown off the stage like by things... Jaguar White. This Do you remember 19- what she was trying to play? This... Like what, what, I don't, I mean, what I song were you have... shitting all over? Well, there are songs, I have <laughs> shit the bed much harder on Jam State. Like I held my own. I played the right chords, okay. right? But I wasn't doing anything. I was just like, hold, hold, you know, it wasn't this like, is like me. Things it fall was just, apart I, era. Yes. This is like as the roots are breaking big. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Very much so. And I did. And like I you heard got me. I heard you got me late. Like I, it, I, I connect the dots being like, oh, oh, that's that band. That's that. That's that drummer. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's but so that's funny. so funny. But I just was like, I just be, they were just like letting people, you know, it wasn't like a, it was kind of packed, but like not really. It was just they were just letting you people know, and, and like it was probably like Robert Glasper that got up after you. Oh uh, no! Was Glasper wasn't on the scene then, was he? I don't think so. He no, was. I, I, I've gigged with I've gigged with Robert Glasper before. I have I have some funny stories about that too. About uh, yeah, him and Bilal went to uh, I think the new school together. Oh, um, the best with, the with your best. boy. Oh yeah, that tell that. I story. wanted I want well, my buddy. My <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to say the names involved. A, a keyboard, uh, an incredible piano player that I work with, basically like borderline got into a fist fight with Bilal. <laughs> After after after, oh, no. after a jazz gig, and it's so bonkers. Has he told you the story, Brian? Have I told you this anyway? But basically, like, you've you've told he, me this story. He he grew up with Glasper, and Glasper. It's it's so they subbed it. He subbed a gig for Glasper, and then but then Glasper showed up, and he was like, "Yo, I want my gig back." <laughs> like on the gig, you know, he like he like went to the gig, and they were in there heckling him on the gig that he had asked him to like sub for sub, him. Right. And Bilal, but Glasper was saying stuff, but Bilal was like screaming at him. Uh, and then he was like, "Yo, I'm gonna kick your ass after the fucking show." Like, just, and he, then they, and they all. This is like was what, he like, like singing th- his threats? He was like, "Hey, <laughs> and you know, yes, you know." And they and like it was it, 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 great, Bilal. The way 
the way he the way my buddy tells it is pretty hysterical it's like he didn't even, uh, he didn't understand what was going on he's like wait why does Bilal want to fight me I have no idea what's going on <laughs> um, alright continuing on to our goat round this, I like this we got a snappy episode Gondelman understands the podcast routine he's done yeah, this before this guy does this he's, he's not like uh, some of our other musician guests who you know or some of our sweet he's not like some of us hosts or hosts <laughs> just take talk. Your time. no this is my ple- it's my pleasure to be here uh, and i hope i'm not i'm i'm such a dummy about music i'm having no, you a are good time killing it i mean i'm the one this is you are i am you are killing it you are an ideal guest and i am i am feeling even better about myself that we picked this genre for you or you picked it or i suggested it however it worked um this is brian's goat this is your goat brian this is the greatest of all time east coast rapping Rapping. I mean, is this nineties? Yeah, it's ninety-two. Okay, it's ninety-two. Because it still was, feels a bit eighties. I kind of was going back and forth about whether or not to make this or my honorable mention the uh, the goat. Okay, so we'll, we'll, but I don't know. It's just to, to me, this record is just so huge. It is, you know, it's '92, and it's the icon Rakim, is you know, from the the duo Eric B and Rakim. This was the lead single or the main single from the uh, Ernest Dickerson film Juice, starring Omar Epps. <laughs> this this feels very public enemy. You know what's funny is that the bomb. I've always, I've lived my whole life thinking that the Bomb Squad, who did all of Public Enemy's records, produced this record. Mm-hmm. However, I found an interview with Rakim where he says he did it all, that this is all him, and that the Bomb Squad only did a, wow. a remix for him. That you know, so it was. I mean, Eric B didn't really do much on these records except come in and do some cuts here and there. But um, yeah, Rakim says he's the one that he put he, he put this entire record together himself. Which I don't know if I believe he's like the god MC. You know, he's he's. You know, pretty widely uh, acknowledged as 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 the greatest MC of all time. But I, you know, I don't know if he. Why is Rakim acknowledged as the greatest MC of all time? He's he's like. Why is he? Because he was the first to develop the style. Yeah, yeah, he, he was, was the pioneer. He was, he was the rapper that took took it from like, uh, you know. My name is. I'm so cool. I went to school. I did it. You know, like he he was the guy that came out of that, and uh, he was kind of uh, pioneering new 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 rap flows and, and and styles. You know, multi-syllabic raps that other people weren't doing. In a, Speaking in a way that, of, of to bring up Hamilton again, there's a great little video going around when he was on, I think from BuzzFeed of him explaining the sort of origin. Um, oh, what song is he getting into? And he it's kind of incredible, I have to say. With all my, uh, you know, all the much as much as I want to not acknowledge the genius he explains how the entire um rapping styles of each character is formed based on old school hip-hop mcs and it's kind of incredible i was just like wow yeah he, yeah he goes, he goes so deep you know and then he, he but he says that hamilton essentially is the rakim of the group and he's the first one to start introducing multi-syllabic rhymes right into the show right and I was like, that's fucking brilliant i mean like you know yeah, I mean, like cle- cool. clearly you know yeah I, I, you know that said i don't make me watch it on disney plus please <laughs> anyway, I think that that song that song uh, you know is is a go for me just because I think I think it's one of the illest hip hop records I've ever heard to this day. You know, not just uh, from any particular decade. 
Uh, I love the way the, uh, you know, the storytelling rhyme from Rakim is just incredible, you know, telling us, you know, kind of like a first person, you know, uh, uh, street narrative of a, of a drug dealer who, you know, ends up, you know, getting his just desserts at the end or whatever for his, you know, life of crime. But the, 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 the track the song itself. Is, the song is Know the Ledge, right? Know the Ledge. Yeah, know I the think ledge. it used to be called Juice, parentheses, Know the Ledge, but now everywhere I'm looking, they just call it Know the Ledge. Uh, but I really dig the way the track is layered, you know, uh, you know, every every verse, they, you know, start introducing new elements that kind of, you know, move the move the production along. It's just a super, super, super ill record. Check it out. If, oh, by the way, shout out our, our playlist. Uh, if you want to hear. Oh, all yeah, the songs we didn't do it last episode. week. The, uh, uh, R.G.O.Q. E.P. dot six colon 90s East Coast rap. I got to work on that. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You make this easy on your listeners. Yeah. <laughs> You need, to search, the you, need, you need to search yeah. this in Spotify. It, it links. You don't have to. You don't have to spoon feed it to people quite so easily. <laughs> RGOQ do, stands for Real Gentlemen of Queens, people. So you just do, search that. Do um, do Josh? Do do you ever talk? Get into uh, '90s hip hop conversations with your bosses with Deezus Samara? Yeah, a little bit. Do they? I where, mean, do you, we, do, where do they? Do they like talk about Rakim, or do they ever sort of? Does that ever come up? I, we've never talked. We've never talked about Rakim. We've never like really chopped it up about like, hey, what are your real thoughts? But like, it comes up in conversation all the time. Like this kind of flavor. And, oh, they know their I mean, shit. We did it on the. They, I mean, they go. I used deep to. With it. I used to be on the OKPlayer.com okay message boards when Jesus was on yeah. it all the time, and yeah, yeah, for sure they knew the shit. They, they're they're for real, and they go and they know up to. Now, like they're ve- they're incredibly fluent with like what's popular now, but also just like real old school golden age New York stuff. How, and they, old, yeah, they, how old are they? I always wonder, like, like what's their because I feel like they got to be my age and Brian's age with their with their references. Because I think they're closer to my age. Really, they're that young. Mm-hmm. Wow, I think I think I Josh think so. just called us wild old son. I know. <laughs> well, because well, they joke. I mean, they joke all the time. It's on tonight's episode. They say. um, they go watch Jesus Amaro, hear us joke about stuff your dad talked about before he died. <laughs> Which is sometimes, like sometimes thing. some of like their references, they'll like reference weird '80s commercials. I'm just like, how do they, you know, their brains blow? I'm like, I have, I, 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 didn't, I didn't even remember that I remember that, you know? They're, yeah, I mean, they, they, their breadth of references is like totally bonkers. They know so much shit so, about everything. So is Rakim? He is like the consensus goat MC. Or yeah. like in terms of at least like the the you know the granddaddy of it you know he's sort of modern modern rap is essentially he, he Michael Jordan rap you know like he was that it. guy was that kind of took it to the next you know I don't know who before and there him. will be there will be people that will be like there were guys that came before him that were more foundational there was a Wilt Chamberlain of rap right. and then there are people that will go been like, oh there has been a, a LeBron Grandmaster since Kaz. that may have but that feels him. like yeah. a very retroactive thing because when Eric B and Rakim like like when I was growing up like they were you know, they kind of had maybe some hits, sort of. They were very. Well, you like, would know Eric B as president. You know, I came through the door. I right. said it before. You know, um, but it, but it was very peripheral. It wasn't nearly as you know in the forefront as like Public Enemy or uh, I'm trying to think of other or you know Slick Rick. Or Run DMC. Or they Run didn't have DMC. crossover hits. They they had. They so had he he was like a critical consensus. Records, yeah. Right. Right. And, and so no, Eric B and Rakim was were celebrated in the hip hop world, but again, back then this was underground culture. You know, they, they never crossed over. Because a lot of uh, times now, you know, when people refer like, I mean, my goat is someone which I'll get to, but is I think that like the commercial success is a big part of that now, and I think that's something I we we didn't really touch on is sort of how the kind of 
you know, the mogul, the entrepreneurship and how that narrative really sort of takes over. Really, it's in the 90s when it takes it over, really. It's like that. It, it, it was it was much more about sort of underground and, and staying true and, and kind of the craft and the arts of it all. And then yeah. the, the, the sort of uh, exemplar or exemplar for the, 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 the success is really the, the end all be all by the end of the decade. And that that sort of almost is more important in a way. To um, where if I write rhymes, I write checks. Yeah, Puffy. That is like. <laughs> but Puffy's like what? A, Puffy's like a what an ethos in one lyric, right? <laughs> like what an incredible way you couldn't like if if he was a character in a movie and someone else was like he doesn't write rhymes, he writes checks. You'd be like, I know everything I need That's to it. know about this character. It. <laughs> it's incredible. It's like a truly breathtakingly self aware thing to say. Totally, but and he didn't write it. You know, <laughs> did, did he not write what any a, of his what a, rhymes? What a, what a self-aware thing to have <laughs> to pay somebody to write for you. To, but to say it, to yeah, be yeah. like, yeah, that's who I am. I'm that guy. But yeah, it's so funny that I mean, someone he, else he wrote famously that. did not write the song that that heartfelt song that launched him as a as an as a solo. Oh, missing you, missing you was written yep. by Sauce Money. Like Puffy, you know, he's mm-hmm. not a rapper. He doesn't write rhymes. You know, like he was nope. But he says Portrait it was checks. Biggie that convinced him to actually go, you know, strike out on his own to become a solo artist. Interesting, interesting. All right, so we're going to go... Tough to fact check. Yeah, tough. <laughs> <laughs> Pro- prove him wrong. Yeah, um, George Washington was the one who told me to start doing stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, this is Josh's goat, uh, and I think uh, this is also... A, this the, These guys are like... This is like they're almost... Um, how do we say this? Like They're like the, the Justice League of rap, you know? So this is uh, Protecting Act by the Wu-Tang Clan. It is. I love the intro. It's like one of the few song intros that I think is Wu-Tang like super again? essential. Oh, yeah. Again and again. And it's like perfect. It's like very slight nod to the idea of a chorus and then just like six dudes rapping. The It's a song with a great legend. It, this was like their first single and everybody had to get enough money to give to RZA so they could press the single and that's how they got on the track that's amazing um, it's it's great it's just like it's got a legend to it it's got a great intro it, it's just so like why so many di- go ahead go ahead keep going sorry so many different rap styles are represented on this song too um it's just wonderful why I love aren't the, it. why aren't the Wu-Tang There's- raps considered like like why isn't this the greatest posse cut well, I, every single one I of the records are posse cuts. Yeah, there's nine members. That's part of it. This is just how they how they do it. And I think like people would put maybe this or like Triumph in that conversation. But it is like these guys are all they're all some permutation of these nine guys are on every song. But also like it's you got to keep in mind Wu Tang Clan as we you know back then you know we don't have the hindsight. Uh, so but back then Wu Tang Clan was a group. Like Wu Tang Clan wasn't a posse. Like it was right. just a nine member band. You know like. The, Every single member was in, it was it was integral, integral, which is insane to think about how much they shape the next decade of rap. Yeah, and that they well, were the, all in a group together. RZA you know? famously like brokered this this deal for them where they could have a record deal and they were all free to pursue uh, their own solo deals off of this. You know, so and the, once this record so took many off, of then the they solo all solo albums. Right. 
sorry, I keep it. No, no, this is your song. I'm interrupting you. you. No, Zoom Zoom is tough. (laughs) But this is, yeah, there were so many classic albums spawned from this album after that incredible residue. And they went on on different labels, right? Like, they weren't all on the same label. Like, Method Man with Def Jam. Um, They're all over the place. The Jizz's first album was a classic. Uh, Ghostface has numerous classic albums. Riz's, uh, excuse me, Raekwon's first album with Ghostface is classic. And there's just so much. Old Dirty. Um, and like, this is a totally, I mean, there's no father to his style. And you can hear it here. It's just like, this is, this to me is more of a progenitor of Cool Keith than anything. He, like, Old Dirty's first album is the closest mainstream thing to like Dr. Octagon to yes, me. Yes, I would, yeah. The, um, uh, what was it called? Return to the 36 Chambers? Yeah. Is that what his first album was? Yeah. Um, it's just wild. And this is, uh, for crying out loud, my style's wild, so book me not long is how long that this rhyme took me. It's just like a not delight. Long. Like, what a great thing to say. Yeah, not, not long. long is how, how long, long is take you? Not long. Don't worry about it. That's like the I could eat of rap brags. Are you hungry? I could eat. How long did it take you to get here? Not long. And it's just like, th- this song just fucking rules. I like, I'm such like a, a fucking pasty Jew goober from the suburbs, but like, I... There is just something this this, also Wu-Tang was kind of the first rap music that was like clandestine between me and my friends that like grownups didn't get and we couldn't let them hear it really. So that was like to me a special thing like having those records and like listening to them where grownups weren't around felt like it was like a very exciting uh, formative experience for me. So I have a lot of there's a lot of like nostalgia and um like personal and bias one thing I, in this I think it's really interesting about them that I always thought and you hear it now more is like they kind of were the first like in that vein rap group that like really were they the first to have a sense of humor like they're they're really funny and I and I think or and I hear these records like now it's just I feel like that you don't hear that kind of humor in Nas or Jay Z or I don't know I just, am I wrong on that you think or you think they're pretty de- deadly serious no they're no they're well rounded th- yeah. Yeah, I and I don't think they're the only they're not the only ones for sure, but like I think they brought so many tones together, right? This first album Enter the Wu-Tang, there's like the skits are weird and menacing but like darkly funny. They uh there's like serious like serious songs like Tears about like AIDS. Uh and then there's like just this kind of like six rappers bragging in a row. I mean, the sketch that that, that, that intros tears is like, it's it's scary and like hilarious at the same time. You know, mm -hmm. fuck you mean is he dead? He's laying there like a fucking newborn (laughs) baby and shit. (laughs) And then RZA and, and uh, went on and and did the grave diggers, which is like absolute, like bleak comedy, right? Like it's just like super dark horror core. Yeah. So there's just so many tones that they work in and it's, I, man, just great. I think they were just regular dudes. You know, they were from Staten Island, which is like mm-hmm. the not thought of borough of New York. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they were street dudes, but they also read comic books ad nauseum. And they, I mean, they named themselves after a kung fu flick. You know, they watch kung fu movies, smoke weed, and read comic books all day. Yeah, there's just, in, there just know, seems like, to be a, an old, that's, there seems to be like a, there's no, they don't, like, they don't have an axe to grind. Mm hmm. Or in, 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 yes. you know what I mean? Like a lot of these other guys, like there, there's like there, there is a you can taste this sort of like uh, ambition, and there's something there's, there's something about Wu Tang. They're just like here we are. Like I think when when Brian brought up earlier, like this era, right? This came out in '93, and it was this kind of era about but, 
like proving how real you are. And this, I feel like is less like real in the hip hop sense of like a, um, like a focused, uh, grittiness. And this is more sincere than real in that it is a more, a deeper breadth of what, of experience. And I also think first foray into the mainstream. So, you know, RZA and Jizza, both of them had, you know, released records prior to this. So RZA oh, was Prince, Prince Rakim. And he had like this, you know, both of them put out like these kind of lover man rap songs. You know, yeah. if you saw the videos today, you'd be like, oh my God, these are the same dudes. You know, I think you know, RZA was like singing in the hook and it's like, ooh, we love you, Rakim. And, oh, and, yeah. and, uh, and Jizza had a song called Just Do Me. And it was like New Jack Swing rap. Oh, like wow. it was like, so both of these guys had like these failed projects, you know, and then, you know, they, they, they came, but you know, I think a lot of that also has to do with like, you know, Riz's, the production, Riz's production is so like, it's so crisp. It's so like, it, it, you know, and it's funny, then it had this sort of darkness to it, but you listen to it now and there's like a sophistication to the production that I think, and I don't know whether it's, you know, it's this or also on like Liquid Swords, those records really feel very like, they don't they have feel the crisp, They feel, they feel sloppy to me, like a, like a controlled control chaos you know but they really don't have dirty the heavy, and they, really... they don't have the heaviness they don't have the like oh i see the what you weight mean, of those records like that you know what i mean they just feel a lot more like they're easy you know they're not like um you know some of the more heavy-handed just with like it just feels like the, the record's trying to beat you up yeah i think this i mean oh god well i was just, i was just gonna make a, a, a note on his his production style was like purposely uh looser you know what i mean like other right. uh, you know um uh Prince Paul mentioned in um, uh, on his, his 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 podcast with Mike Eagle. Uh, you know, oh, that's so great. it's so good. Uh, but he mentioned that you know that he you know he was showing RZA at the time the ropes of how to make beats and in production and this and, you know and he said that he RZA's whole whole style was like you know Prince Paul is showing him how to do it and then later you know RZA's RZA's a guy that doesn't want to quantize his drums. You know, he's just leaving them really loose and like right, right. Paul's like, wait, you don't even want to quantize your drums? He's like, nah, I just fucking leave it like that. And like then it's and you know, it's it's mind blowing because that ends up being, you know, the genius thing of uh, part of the about the record is that it's it's so loose, you know. And this song, I think, to to me has like kind of the same propulsiveness or a similar propulsiveness to um know the ledge, but like a but like the RZA version as opposed to the Rakim bomb squad influence Mm. version right it's like high octane just like rap and rap and rap and rap and the uh the drums keeping it going fast it's just like i i don't know it's just like like you said there's like a lightness and a a speed to it that it doesn't get bogged down yeah yeah Yeah, that's that's i I, it's you know and it it, which is funny because i remember at the time i was scared of wu-tang they they were like they they were kind of scary like cream was kind of scary you know like there was and now years later i'm like oh they're just goofing around you know um, all right, so here is my goat, and I will stand by this. I think they might still snatch a chain. You know what I mean? Like they were cool, cool yeah, dudes, yeah, yeah, but they yeah. were, you know, still tuck your chain around them. I still think, I think we could say this is the greatest, one of the greatest hip hop debuts of all time, one of the great debut records of all time. Mm-hmm. I've got another sure. another great debut. Coming you hear the up. horn sample? Yeah. Very New York '90s. Very. I almost picked um, as my quintessential. I almost picked New York State of Mind, but it was slightly too on the nose. <laughs> so are you saying that uh, you know that Julian is trash for picking a? No, I just mean New York State of Mind is like oh the quintessential East Coast song, the one with New York in the title. Oh, gotcha, I'm very gotcha. smart. <laughs> <laughs> So this is, when was he Nasty Nas? 
just before this. Okay, so this is from Nas. Um, what's his real name? Nasir Jones. Nasir Jones, the son of famous uh, trumpet player Oludara. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Out of Queensbridge. Uh, A story I represent. Another, another, another Queens product. Um, and this, uh, this album has, you know, like at the time when it came out, like the cream of the crop producers, DJ Premier, Large Professor, Pete Rock, Q-Tip. Q-Tip. Uh, Q-Tip. And I guess no, Tribe is out already. So, but he's producing, he's producing Post Midnight Marauders Tribe, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is just, I mean, from the moment I heard this record, I was just blown away. I mean, I I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to think of some other factoids. He ended up marrying my, uh, uh, one of the girls I sat with uh, for freshman lunch. You talking about Khalees? Khalees, Khalees. Sat. Khalees, we who sat, also we featured on Old Dirty Bastards, uh, uh, got your got money, money single. Yep. Yeah. Khalees. That was the first time I think I was aware of her. Yeah. But because we didn't go to high school. Together. And also, right, exactly. And then, and she was a she was an actor in high school, and uh, and then her her debut record was produced by the Neptunes. Um, yeah. I don't know what other what other stuff about Nas. Like, how about he's never been this good again. Can, Jay-Z would agree with you. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that. But this this rec, I feel like this is. I don't know. Yeah, uh, he's so, he's he rapped this well. Right, but the records were never, were, the never records this good. were never this good. I mean, one mic is a great song. Like, there's some good, there's some really great stuff. But I don't think it holds up that well. Does it? Well, I, I thought one mic was great then, but now when I'm oh, still really? like, mm. that was was that off of the um, still now? Sure was. There was a lot of stuff on there that I think was like we really because that was that was. Um, Five mics in the source. I think people wanted it to be good so right. badly. Wait, they they ran, they rated Stillmatic five mics. I know Illmatic got five. I think so. I think yeah. Stillmatic. It was either five or four and a half. Hold on, looking for this sure. Up. Illmatic got five mics in the source. Yes, of course. So and this not, is like, so, so you're so sort of the consensus is that like Nas is sort of like in that league with Rakim. He's like as as an MC, he's peerless. When he came know, out. He, he was that was the that was the thing. He's the new Rakim. Right. That's what they call and, him. His, and, but his rhyme the, style was very similar. But then the records were were never at that level. Not well, he had had some big records. You right. Know? But in terms of like, you know, front to back, he never really like he put together this sort of incredible debut. And uh He was that dude, you know, he was super sought after. There was like a bidding war, but you know, all the labels right. wanted him. Um he had so much buzz and this album was recognized as just like an immediate masterpiece, but right. it didn't do all that well uh, sales wise, right? And uh, Questlove tells a story about watching Nas at the uh, at the Source Awards, the first annual Source Awards. Um, for those that don't know, we're referencing referencing the Source magazine, which I, I, it still exists today. I think as like an online uh, magazine, but it, at the time it was like the Bible of hip hop. You know what I mean? If they rated your album with five mics, then it was like a classic and and very few albums got rated five mics uh at the time it was like nas illmatic de la soul is dead i think got five mics um ice cube america's most wanted got five mics it was like a, just a, a handful of them um outcast equipment i might have been one of them but um at quest love tells a story about nas being at the source awards watching every award that he was nominated for go to biggie because biggie made the more gangster more commercial record you know that was kind of patterned after the west coast stuff uh and then the next album that uh, you know Nas is like shrinking in his seat watching watching big get all these uh awards and then the next album he comes out with is uh um it was written 
that is way more poppy. Now he's got like Lauren Hill singing on the lead single. Uh, he's got the, he, 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 you know, the first album, he's got Pete Rock, he's got DJ Premier, he's got Large Professor, he's got Q-Tip, and it's like, that's like the greatest boom bap producers you can get. And like the second album is all like track masters, Dr. Dre's on it. It's like, you know, it's not the same. It's, it's still a great album, you know, but also, and he also invents this character of Nas Escobar. He's rapping like he's like a, he's a, like a, 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 a Cuban or a Colombian uh, drug dealer, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Nas, he still was rapping great. Like, the, you know, incredible stories. The music was still really good, but it wasn't, it never came right. back to what it was in Elmatic. Stillmatic, five mics in the source. Five mics. Yeah, that's, uh, ah, that's a little uh, undeserved. It's uh, it's like the way. I mean, not to bring it back to Rolling Stone, but it's like, oh, Dylan's Bob Dylan put out some some All new right, something. Josh, five stars. Josh, that we have very few rules in this podcast, and one of them is that the Lord's name shall not be taken in vain. Josh, you speak, just so you know, speak the only of Robert thing- Zimmerman. In the, in the highest regard here at all times, or else you will you will not like what happens. Josh, the only thing that kept Bob Dylan off of Julian's list today is that he's not from New York. Dude, <laughs> I was about to put. So, I was about to put. Technically, it's Minnesota hip hop <laughs> right. when Bob Dylan does it. It's closer to the rhyme. I, I was about to put. I was going to put on. Subterranean Homesick Blues on my list and just call it a day. Like, it's going to be Bob, Bob Dylan, Common, and Rhyme Sayers. You know, <laughs> idea and abilities. Yo, Julian, brother Ali, brother Ali, Bob Dylan, and Atmosphere. <laughs> Julian, I'll, I'll tell you how how uh, keep it real. You know how how over the top the purists were about New York hip hop is that this your your pick here. It ain't hard to tell was was trashed by the purists for being this was like Nas's crossover record because it sampled Michael Jackson. Oh, interesting. <laughs> They're like, oh man, he came with a he sampled Michael Jackson. Well, but wasn't Daylight doing that stuff? Daylight sampling like Steely Dan and all that and and, and a lot of pop records. Steely Dan's not Michael Jackson. I guess not. You know, but, like it was like, <laughs> that's the most Julian shit I've ever I heard in not. my life. You don't see the Steely difference Dan, Michael Jackson sampling something not. off a of Steely Dan and sampling something off a Thriller. <laughs> I, you know I mean, mean? Well, whatever. It's the entire the, the freaking uh, human nature is the entirety of Steely Dan playing on it. So or in Toto, human nature really. has Toto. Yeah. yeah, who are Steely Dan? I mean, Jeff Picaro plays drums. Who have on. been at various times members of Steely Dan. <laughs> they're, 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 the, I'm or players on Steely Dan's records. Correct, correct. Um, but but I feel like the, the, the sample is so buried in the production there. It's not like a puppy sample where it's no, just a yeah, straight yeah. rip. Puppy, it's like puppy just can, grabbed a loop. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. super obscure. No, you I mean, know? this is done by Large Professor. He, you know, he, 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 he knows what he's doing, you know. Um, it's great. Anything else you want to say about? Now yeah, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying it was trash. I'm just saying that's how hardcore right. yes. the peers oh, yeah. were in New York. Well, they they, they call so this funny. his radio record. You we know? tried to keep honorable mentions off this podcast because uh, you know we always spend so much time yapping about it. But I think we're just going to have to accept that this is what this podcast is. We just sit down I think so, and we you just know? go. So, but let's unless get... we really go over, and then we can just say you know we're not doing it. You know, I don't know. Well, this is good. No, we've had this is great. I'm I'm feel like I'm learning so much, and hopefully our listeners are learning or and, and or making fun of me or for not knowing. Um, all right, let's talk. Let's talk uh, about your honorable mentions real quick. Uh, here we go. This is yours, Brian. You said this was maybe going to be your goat. This was right? maybe going to be my goat, yeah. You got to get through the intro before the actual track comes in. So many skits and intros. Just get to the point, guys. Come on. Oh. Oh, yeah. This is the soundtrack to, like, every NBA 2K. Is it? Oh, yeah. I've got this thing on loop always. I don't play video games because I'm a grown man, but, you know, I'll take your word for it. 
<laughs> no, this is They Reminisce Over You by uh, the incredible Pete Rock and CL Smooth. And I'll tell you why. The reason why I didn't, I was kind of like wishy-washy about whether I was going to make this my goat or not, or just the honorable mention, is because to my breed of people, like the hip-hop heads who like know this music inside out, like if you go to like uh, uh a 90s hip hop party or you know or, you know a, a club where the DJ's playing this style of music like this song is like the most obvious it's so good like and and so like legendary that it's kind of like the obvious choice now and it's like it's like being in a wedding band that plays brick house you're just like ah oh, there's now he's playing freaking they reminisce over you again but it's just that good you know this was uh, uh. Well, tell, talk about Pete Rock so Pete Rock is a legendary hip hop producer uh, he 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 uh, who's the MC from, on this CL Smooth. The group was okay. Pete Rock and CL Smooth. And they were a group from Mount Vernon, Mount New Vernon. York, Westchester represent. Pete Rock was Heavy D's cousin, famously. The whole the whole Mount Vernon crew, Money Earning Mount Vernon. I believe Puffy Combs was from Mount Vernon also. That sounds right. Yeah. Right, so Puffy was like Heavy D's dancer. This song, They Reminisce Over You, Troy, is dedicated to... Uh, Troy Dixon, who was Trouble T. Roy uh, from Heavy D and the Boys, who had uh, passed away, uh, I think that year or the year before. Who knew Heavy D would loom so large in uh, in the uh, in the in the '90s hip hop conversation? A legend. Heavy now, D's a legend. Now yeah. that we found love, what are we gonna do with it? Well, that, you know, that's that's, that's like huge. later. I mean, that's like dance, New Jack Swingy, Heavy D. You know, that's but, like what he's known for for the most part. I would say, no, to not rap fans. You know. <laughs> You know, it is a huge. Song, it's a though. huge record. I loved it. Yeah, but you know, the overweight lover. Yeah, like Heavy D's. Mm-hmm. Heavy D's bona fides were in order. We'll just, we'll just, we'll mm-hmm. just say that. Um, but yeah, this was from the uh, Mecca and the Soul Brother album uh, by Pete Rock and Tail Smooth from uh, 1992. And uh, Pete Rock states uh, in an interview with the Village Voice, uh, he had a friend of mine who passed away who was Trouble T Roy, and uh, he was kind of depressed, so uh, he ended up making this record for him. The lyric isn't necessarily about that. Um, CL Smooth is just kind of, you know, weaving some 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 tales of growing up and this and that and third. But is know. there anything with this group where the where the uh, producer is the first name? Is that like sort of a nod to that? I think that's interesting. It's so rare that, you that see was, that. yeah, that was the style of the time. You know, so it was Pete Rock and CL Smooth. It was Eric B and Rakim. It was oh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Oh right, it was mm-hmm. that was that was that's you know right, the right, DJ right. the DJ got top billing back then. Um, this is over a uh, a saxophone and bass sample of Tom Scott's cover of Today by Jefferson Airplane. Oh, wow. Um, and then, of course, that's Pete Rock ad-libbing uh, uh, all over the hook. Um, let's go to Josh's honorable mention. I'm glad you included this, Josh, because I feel like no conversation of East Coast rap would be complete without the uh, the presence of the Rough Riders. So this is this is Rough Riders Anthem, DMX. This is a Swiss Beats production. It is not, I wouldn't, this is not, I didn't include it because I have it right under my greatest of all time, but I included it because I think DMX sometimes gets so overlooked in conversations uh, about like the East Coast. He kind of came in this in between time, it feels like, but he was so huge. His first either four or five albums were number one billboard albums. And so I think like this huge, unbelievable. And this is out of It's Dark and Hell is Hot, his first uh, major label album. It's huge. This song was everywhere. Everybody everywhere wanted to ride four wheelers in the street. and and motor, where's where's he from? Yonkers, baby. Yonkers. Yonkers. 
Yonkers. And this, so this is like, it's not, it doesn't quite mesh with the rest of the playlist, but as an honorable mention, I just felt so much, we had so much else that had been touched on already. I almost included Redman, whose music I love, but this is 1998, so it's on the tail end of the 90s, and it's like kind of the, uh, our big representation of that era for this What playlist. I think is interesting too is that like, it's kind of very counter to a lot of not late 90s rap too, that's popular. Because mm-hmm. this is like, you know, this, there is, there's no trace of any pop music in this. You know, like, yeah, it's, that's it's, the deal. DMX was the guy that brought back street hip hop to New York. So after, after Biggie died, there was a little bit of a, a pushback on the gangster rap, right? right. On what they were calling gangster rap. So, right. you know, we had two of our most beloved MCs die and, you know, in, in, in gun, gunfire, you know, let's, let's try and make it, you know, fun again. So now Puffy Combs and all the bad boy guys, you know, he's softening up their image. He's got Mace mm-hmm. and the locks, you know, who are street cats. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're dancing in their videos, wearing shiny suits. You know what I mean? And, 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 and singing, you know, rapping over, you know, uh, interpolations of Gloria Stefan songs and this, you know, so it's, it, it was getting, it was getting kind of soft, you know, and DMX was the guy that brought it back to like real gutter street shit. I hated Swiss Beats because I, I, I is this really, how sweet, is this how, what Swiss Beats, what, what Swiss Beats made his name on? This is, yes, and but this is like as good as Swiss, Swiss Beats got. Yeah. Like, I like this song, but he also did like Wild Out and, you know, for the Was the DMX and, the first, like, uh, oh God, Money we left, Cash Hose we've for Jay Z. Oh, it was yeah. just terrible, terrible keyboard. He, he, he famously used the, the the Cork Triton was his his tool of choice. You know, like, don't sleep on the Cork as, Triton. As opposed to like, so Pete Rock, who we just talked about, Pete Rock is like recognized as like one of the like royal triumvirate of New York producers. So like Pete Rock and, and you're all about and the crate here, and you're all about the crate and Don't the yeah, Triton, the guys the, that the, you know Cork Triton has a as a series. You know that EP sound comes in handy, my friend. I'm saying those guys like really like were craftsmen and how they use this hardware to make their records. And meanwhile, Swiss Beats is like ming 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 ming. <laughs> like this was musical compared to the other shit he put out. Like Money Cash Hose was just like literally him running his hand across the keyboard. You know, it sounded like he got oh, yeah. boom 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 boom. boom. So it was garbage. And, and is DMX kind of the first like shouty rapper? No, no. Like he, I feel like I, he, like there's a like whole Buster Rhymes. We I just guess Buster's about. that, or like. But I always think it's like DMX and Exhibit shows up, and like all these dudes, like like they're they sound like they're just you mean like grunt like grunty rapper? Yeah, maybe? like grunty. Like MOP is in the the DMX kind D- of M- 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 yeah. MOP predates M- uh, DMX. Got it. Um, okay. Got it. DM- uh, I think DMX used to be a beatboxer, which is why he named, uh, named himself DMX, which was a, a, a drum machine at the time. Oh my lord! Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. DMX, DMX may very well be the first barking rapper. <laughs> I don't think rappers were barking before. And Not he's even like, Snoop Dogg. He was massive, and then it just was gone. No, yeah, but no, he, but he was massive. For yeah, he put out his, a bunch of records. His he had five number one albums. Like let's that's. Crazy. It's like the Beatles did, but it's, do put it, it it's this like, way: like, like sales wise, they were both out at the same time. Jay Z was a scrub compared to DMX. Well, funny for, you should for, bring for up Jay Z because for the sales. Oh, um, MOP's Andy Up is what I would have put in this place, but it came out in two thousand. <sighs> MOP's Andy Up is the most amazing song ever written about. It's so robbing good. Now, I think this song is interesting because it it samples Nas. It uh, mm-hmm. yes, which he was using it wrong. <laughs> well, he made it a hot line. He made it a hot yeah, song. Yeah. So that's the difference there. <laughs> the uh, and this apparently is the beginnings of the Nas Jay Z beef. 
Well, was, I think I think it starts with the fact that like Nas wouldn't re-record his vocals for this or something. I had never heard that's, that. That's this is due to my deep research on the song on Wikipedia. Some that sounds say, odd because um, the hip hop way is not to have anybody come in and re-record your vocals. They like Nas was originally invited a- to re-rap the chorus for Jay Z and appear on the track's music video, but he oh, declined. He snubbed him. And no, some view this as the foundation of the Jay Z versus Nas feud. Interesting, because there's a Snoop Dogg sample on this album too, right? Isn't there? Um, is, doesn't he sample Snoop in one of the songs? Are you thinking about Blueprint? Maybe I am. What is the Jay Z song? Slim with the 12 Snoop Dogg? inch rim, 20 inch rims. That joint? I don't think so. Uh, I'm, I might just be wrong. That so this is, is from '96, right, Julian? Correct. This is from the the, the, the debut Jay Z record, Reasonable Doubt, um, which oh, it's the, uh, on. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Wait. Go. On uh, the evils. Oh, the evils. Dear God, I wonder, can you save oh, me? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Murder was the case. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. So, uh, in continuing with my not really uh, stepping up to the plate here, can we can we talk about? You know, I think I think what's interesting about Jay Z is like he sort of is like he is almost like the the answer to, to Puffy in a way. You know, he's like Jay Z's the answer to Puffy in a sense that like he has all the entrepreneurial stuff. His you know his he he launches his own label with Damon Dash. They basically run it out of the trunk of their car and then on Fulton Street or wherever they like basically downtown Brooklyn. And then, but he has the skill of you know has the has that that Biggie level. So skill. he's he's Puffy he's Puffy and Biggie put together. Basically, you know, and, and also he is the continuation of what Puffy starts in terms of this mass commercialization of rap because, you know, Jay-Z right. is, I think, is he the most commercially successful rapper of all time? Probably. He's got to be, right? Got to be. I mean, I feel like, I don't mean to sound uh, ungrateful, but I feel like Drake might have You know what Drake probably like has? Sharding songs You're absolutely right. Drake, Drake, is, Drake is, uh, as... Um, a friend of the show, Chris Malampi would say he is a like Drake is a fen- like a chart phenomenon. That- but Jay Z, I mean, like famously for those the late '90s through the early th- uh, 2000s, would take pride in having the song of the summer. Right, Jigga held you down five summers. Right, like, and he and he so he was he had huge hits every year. And also is recognized in the world of MC. Like he's he's considered to be one of the great MCs. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. For sure. Now, couldn't get a deal back then. For, uh, uh, well, did, didn't he start out with Big Daddy Kane or something? Like, does, isn't it like he, he's sort of... He's on a very... Yeah, early, early Jay-Z is on late, late Big Daddy Kane record. Got it. Um, and Big Daddy out, Kane is sort of kind of somewhat credited as like giving him his start. Yeah. Jazzo was his mentor, his rhyming mentor. Uh, he's on the song Hawaiian Sophie by Jazzo. Uh, he's on that song by Original Flavor that we uh, we talked about before with Ski. Um and yeah, fa- famously couldn't get a record deal. Uh, Damon Dash was his manager. He was a Harlem dude. And Brooklyn was from the Marcy Projects. Uh, Jay Z was from the Marcy Projects in Brooklyn, uh, and he couldn't get couldn't get a deal. So they decided to start their 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 label together. And uh, um, it wasn't reasonable doubt was didn't do Gangbusters. The, you know when it first came out, uh, I think Eight No End was a hit. Uh, um, dead with fo- that was with Foxy with Brown. With Foxy Brown, yep. Uh, um, we dead ne- president. We had was no a, Foxy Brown, no little Kim on this list. We, there was no. We, we were felt, sorely lacking female representation. I know. I felt bad being so dude heavy. Yeah, but um, you know, you only get three picks, man. And the the era, I think there was a 
it, it, there was a real bias in that, right? There just weren't as many, like, we could have gone with Lil' Kim, we could have gone with Foxy Brown, could have gone with the MC, Brat from MC Philly. MC Light. But they're, MC Light, wait, sure. Wait, 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 the Brat's just, from, like, uh, Chicago. Is she not from Philly? She's from Chicago. Oh, okay. Chicago and Atlanta. Oh, right. You know, she, she was Gosh, sorry. Moved down, to, down south. You're right, 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 right. We could have gone with Lauren Hill. So Lauren Hill's from Jersey. Lauren Hill, yep. It's just, but, um, I, I was going to say there's not as much material, um, but, you know, Biggie Smalls had two albums. Three if you count the Junior Mafia right. one. Um, mm-hmm. But what I wanted to say about Jay-Z is that it took him some time to, 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 to find his footing. So this first album was super dope, very critically acclaimed, but didn't do that well sales-wise. Second album comes out right after Biggie dies, and he's trying to position himself as that next guy from New York, the next king of New York, whatever. Um, but he's, he's, he's made some missteps. He's got this song with Babyface on it that's like a little, a little too commercial, a little too R&B-ish. And he's got Hype Williams directing it, you know, with that fish angle uh, lens thing that Hype Williams was doing at the time. That, that, that led to everybody calling Jay-Z a camel because his nose was like all up in the, in, in the frame in an unflattering way. Um, it wasn't probably until the Hard Night Life um, album that I think Jay-Z finally kind of solidified himself as like that dude. Right. But people, but Reasonable Doubt is sort of, again, looked on the same light as Illmatic in terms of like... I mean, I guess Jay Z has the in, blueprint. He has the black album. He has these other. These in albums. hindsight, yeah. At the time, it wasn't. It was at the, at the time. It was like, oh, this is a really dope album, right? But, but nobody sort of, was it's like the saying, most sort oh, this of is authentic Jay Z, where he's not trying to, you know, not trying to craft that sort of, you know, pop world domination type. Yeah, for sure. Sound. For sure. Um, and, yeah. Oh, and I was gonna say. I mean, I think like Blueprint, which came out on September 11th, 2001. Really? Is like, yeah. That and uh, Ben Folds' Rock in the Suburbs. Album. And uh, <laughs> Bob Dylan's Love and Theft. Less Nobody, heard, less that. Nobody heard that but you and Jan Winner. <laughs> Whatever. One of, the, one of the, um, great, the, late, the great late career masterpieces. But, you know, who am I? Just, just some guy who knows. A... Late career, he's going to put out another seven five-star <laughs> albums this year. <laughs> um, well, says yeah, says was, the man who, he... who crafted a tweet today with a bot. With a name, I, it's with a Dylan, yes. yeah. He had, I could, he, he had a Dylan-esque tweet. He said, I contain multitudes. He was referencing the song today. Anyway, continue, continue. <laughs> but the, um, the, what was I going to say? Oh, but yeah, that's, that is like his huge, oh, like front to back pop, um, opus on the, and it like basically launched Kanye West as a producer, right? That was like his big entree into. Really? Intro- so, introduction so the blueprint the is, is, has the first Kanye productions on it. No, Maybe not the first, but, those but are, that's, that's where Kanye blew up. He did like um, uh, uh, Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City. He did um, mm-hmm. H to the Izzo. He did H to the, H to the Izzo. Izzo. Yeah. yeah, which is like the first big, huge Kanye beat that was everywhere. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't just Kanye. Um, I mean, so Kanye got recognized for doing that like sped up mm-hmm. soul sample sound, but that was really like um, Bink and Just Blaze, I think, were doing it before him, but he just was... Uh, it's so wild, like to to look I, back on all this. He stuff promoted and, himself the best, and to think I love those Just Blaze beats oh, from that great. era too. It's so like great. it. It's like it now was so long ago, but like these things move so quickly. Like how we're already, you know, how Kanye comes to prominence in '03 when his college dropout, probably '03 '04 something like that. Mm-hmm. And 04, it's like I think. you know, Biggie's only eight years before, and now all that stuff is twenty years ago. Right. right. Well, think about the. I was just thinking about the 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 time between Rough Rider Anthem, which is what like ninety eight, and uh, Know the Ledge. You know the Eric B and Rakim one from ninety two. You know, mm-hmm. right. Six years. 
to get from Rakim to DMX. Right. Um, well, I think we have reached the end of our playlist. Josh, this has been an absolutely you 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 are a music nerd, my friend. I don't think you you give yourself enough credit. I mean, yeah, Josh. I will, thank you. That's you're, very you're, kind. You're going back I, and forth with I mean with Bisky on hip hop, so that's like you know that is well, more he, than I can do. He went easy on me. <laughs> This it was. You guys are very gracious to have me on. And no, indulge, I mean, you, uh, I, well, hopefully, you got to me. talk about a thing that you know. Uh, you don't. I do. Oh well, man, I could do. I could do this we, forever. We, 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 it feels like we have done it forever. No, we. We're, I think we. We'll, might, we'll bring Josh back for part two for '90s West Coast rap. Yeah, we'll do West. <laughs> we'll do every regional. I'm way. I'm way out of my depth. I would be so out of my depth, but I'd love to come back and do Sons of Springsteen sometime. Oh my God. I, I, I'm like, I'm all in on the Sons of Springsteen one. That's already um, great. We already have, have the title. Uh, all right. Well, signing off again. This has been another great episode of The Real Gentleman of Queens. I am your host, Julian Villard, and this is my co-host, B-Ski. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.